Hi friends, thank you for joining us again for the ASP Stories weekend bonus episode. Join us on Mondays and Thursdays where we interview amazing guests where they share with us about their adventure sports and the amazing feats that they have done. But ASP Stories is where we get to listen in as authors read their adventure stories to us. So sit back with your hot cup of tea or coffee and kick off your adventure-filled weekend by listening in while we hear more from ASP Stories. We climb into the car this day to continue up this narrow, rocky road. We pass through stands of aspen with new leaves shaking in the wind. The word aspen means quake, and quake they do. The slightest breeze causes the leaves of the trees to shimmer and shake. This is due to the stems of the leaves that are flattened vertically. When the wind touches them, instead of swooping randomly, they dance from side to side, creating shimmers and flashes as they duck in and out of the filtered light of the forest. The trunks of the aspen are smooth and white, with dark markings placed here and there. Many of these markings are scars left by decades of survival. In the early summer, it's not uncommon to see fresh green and tan scars high on the trees. I've seen these scars 20 feet above the ground. These are the teeth marks left by mule deer and elk. I've been temporarily perplexed by this. How does a doe or a buck climb 20 feet up a smooth, slender aspen trunk? I laughed at myself when I realized the answer. Deer don't climb trees. They do, however, walk on 20 feet of consolidated snow. During the hungry, lean months of winter, even aspen bark can be pretty tasty. I ponder the groves of aspen. Some have speculated that the biggest living thing on earth is an old-growth aspen grove. Obviously, individual aspen trees are not that large. I've never seen one more than a foot in diameter, but aspen grow up from horizontal roots that spread out from mature trees. What appears to be two trees standing several feet apart is actually one organism. They share the same sap and DNA. Entire vast forests of aspen can be a single plant. Fascinating. The road continues to lead us higher and higher until finally we find ourselves at its terminus a thousand feet or so below the tree line. We're at 10,600 feet above sea level. A little higher, and the combination of thin air and harsh weather does not allow trees to survive. The trees give way to grassy hillsides and jagged granite peaks. At this elevation, there are still deep snowdrifts in the shade of the trees, but we can walk on muddy earth between these. We put our son Caleb in his backpack carrier and begin to hike up a series of steep switchbacks. We're not prepared to climb all the way over Arapahoe Pass at 11,906 feet. Instead, we just enjoy the cool, sweet air as we huff our way up to a break in the trees. I'm astounded. To our south and west is a glorious vista. I've never seen one more beautiful. Sure, there are some views as beautiful, but none better than this. The high peaks are still completely covered with snow, and the contours of their sides swoop and swirl like whipped cream. On the opposing cliffs, A waterfall shoots out from under a veil of heavy snow and dives back under the snow some 70 feet below. The rest of the stream is completely hidden. More to the west, at 12,814 feet, Mount Neva thrusts into the sapphire blue sky. Hidden from our view are several mountain lakes, which are frozen and covered in white. My feet start itching for snow skis. Several high, open bowls call out to me. The hike to the top would be grueling in the deep snow, 
and the ride down through this wonderland would be a risky venture of cutting slabs in prime avalanche terrain. Another day, perhaps. Perhaps not. I find myself wondering how to take in such spectacular scenery. I've never been one to be satisfied with merely looking. I need to encounter nature more intimately. Looking creates a burning in my heart that drives me to touch, to climb, and to feel. I want to know the icy wind on the top of Mount Neva. I want it to cut into my face and to numb my nose and my fingers. I want to smell the snow and fall into it. I want to struggle to summit in this difficult terrain. I want to give it my all. I know from past experiences that rewards are worth the effort, the sacrifice. When I climb a mountain, I make it an act of worship. I do not worship the mountain as some. I do not worship the rocks, the trees, or the sky. But my climbing is worship. Through the intimate touching of the peaks, I physically understand better the power of the Creator. Certainly, as awesome as these mountains are, they're but a small sample of the vast display of omnipotence. Still, they are a sample that's big enough to challenge me and to make me yield from time to time. These mountains are also small enough that I can make the attempt. I cannot flap my arms and fly to the sun, but I've climbed high enough to know that the wax in Icarus's wings did not melt. It froze and shattered. I cannot climb to exalt myself. Eventually, all our efforts to glorify self will end with shattered wings. I climb to be humbled by the creation. It's in humility that we gain understanding. It's for understanding that I go to these Alps. These rocks testify of the millennia. The relentless wind shows the power of persistence. The wiry vegetation teaches us of accepting one's lot and thriving against the odds. The cliffs remind us of our mortality, and the sun both warms and burns, reminding us that respect of the life-giving Creator is the beginning of knowledge. The storms that form in minutes remind us that life is unpredictable and powerful. Gravity holds us firm. It keeps us on the rocks. Gravity declares grace, full of challenges but also our ever-present anchor. Most importantly, the view from the top shows us how little we could see on the way up. It reminds us to keep focusing on the journey and to respect another's view that we may not yet see. Today the challenge will go unmet. Anne, Caleb, and I came to see if spring had arrived and to address the atrophy winter claimed in our muscles. We stand on the line. Winter is above and spring is below. The transition is magical. We return home through Netherland. This small mountain town is unlike any other. There is a short, aged main street, a city hall the size of a lemonade stand, several interesting restaurants, a grocery store, a used bookstore, and a traffic circle. Middle Boulder Creek rages through the heart of the town and collects on the eastern edge in Barker Reservoir. The steep terrain and the creek have forced buildings to be built at odd angles to one another. Some attempts at the traditional grid pattern are evident, but many structures are twisted several degrees to the left or to the right. Ned, as the locals call it, seems to be making an effort to be a resort town. No, this is not a concerted or planned effort. It's accidental. There is a Best Western in town that would normally only exist in a much larger community. It's perched on the creek, and it looks too big. Eldora's ski area is moments away, but this is not the ski town that one might anticipate. The rental center rents tools, machinery, and snowshoes as an afterthought. There are three old train cars pushed together to form a coffee shop, and they rent cross-country skis. The standard ski town shops selling Gore-Tex, fleece, thinsulate, and goggles are absent. 
The ski area itself is quite non-pretentious, with snow, lifts, and a simple cafeteria. It's a beautiful place to ski, but quite small and often in the need of powder. Perhaps this is the way that the locals want to keep it, all pushed together in this odd fashion. The town exists in some offbeat continuum. It's another time and, and another place. It does not make sense, but it does hold a mysterious attraction. The town seems not sure where it's going, but willing to simply live and let live in random passions. Yes, I'm talking about the houses, the businesses, the architecture, and the city planning, but the people of the town run parallel to this philosophy. The people of Ned are a mixture of three juxtaposed social groups. There are wealthy business people who commute to Boulder each day, briefcases in tow. They live in large mountain homes with cedar siding and spectacular views. Then there are the mountain folks with long fuzzy beards, wearing Carhartt overalls and boots. These people live in cabins hidden in the trees. The mountain folk drive trucks, build houses, work in mines, and volunteer for the volunteer fire department. Last, there are those that many would call hippies, and lots of them. They drive Volkswagen vans, they don't shave anywhere. The women wear loose cotton dresses with spaghetti straps and wild prints. Sandals work for footwear. The often bare-chested men wear cut-offs and sandals, if they're not barefoot. For both sexes, the hairstyle of preference is dreadlocks. Tattoos and body piercings abound. I see these working as waitresses and waiters, or sometimes running cash registers in the grocery. I wonder where they live. I don't know if they live in the large homes with the amazing vistas or in the small cabins tucked in the woods. I don't even know if many really live in Ned, or if they simply congregate there from other parts. The hippies are the color of the town. It's clear that they are a loving people with rich varieties of philosophies and religious convictions. This social group fits Ned. Netherland is laid back and fun-loving. A brew pub in Ned features local beer and local music bands. Some quite noteworthy groups got their start in this pub. The bands don't start setting up until late in the evening and play deep into the night. Laughter is contagious in such places and hugs and smiles are shared freely. Ned is all about local flavor and imported culture. This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by 180TAC.com. 180TAC manufactures premier backpacking and emergency products. Whether you need a backpacking stove for your week-long trek on the trail or an emergency stove for your bug-out bag, we have the tools you need. Visit www.180tack.com. It's official. Winter has arrived, and Bentgate Mountaineering is prepared to help you get ready for your epic winter. Come check out the latest in Alpine Touring, Telemark, NTN, and Splitboarding gear. They have brands like Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Technica Blizzard, Arcteryx, Mammoth, Solomon, Vole, Neversummer, Jones, and BCA. And you do need to be safe out there. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear. They have beacons, airbags, shovels, and probes, and they're ready to help you educate yourself on snow safety. They also rent out gear so you can get your skis and your boots there as well as your avalanche safety equipment. What's more, they also have free demo ski days at local resorts so you can try out the latest gear. Now, how much fun does that sound? So swing by Bentgate in Golden, Colorado, or go to bentgate.com to find your new gear as well as to get updates on all of their events.
We stop in Ned on our way home for some hot chai and Nepali cuisine. Chai is made by steeping tea in hot milk and then adding sugar, cinnamon, ginger, and other spices. It warms the body and, although caffeinated, invokes a soothing, restful state. A ceiling fan slowly stirs air, rich with exotic smells of spices from the Himalayas. The room is small, dark, and warm. On the rough wooden walls are pictures of Everest, Nepali people, and some prayer flags. The ceiling is uneven, giving the room an unplanned feeling. No doubt this place has been used for a variety of functions through the decades. A sense of health and humanity fill this room. The few small tables are arranged quite near to each other, such that we cannot quite escape the conversations and experiences of the other tables. Perhaps all the tables really should be pushed together so that the awkward glances would be replaced with intentional eye contact and conversation. This intimate atmosphere is what Nederland is about. When someone enters the room, all look up, and several will greet the newcomer by name. As someone leaves, there's a pause at the door, and people from around the room will smile and wave, or say, see you later at so-and-so's. We sit corralling our son and talking. Anne and I are cautious, knowing that in this place many others will hear our conversation. Everyone pretends to be enjoying private exchanges, but in truth, they're all aware that they're addressing an entire room when a thought is whispered. The food, like the chai, comes to the table warm and soothing. I had ordered a variety plate, flatbread called naan, curried chicken, lamb, rice, lentil soup, and mango chutney entice me. I would not be able to eat this entire feast, but I enjoy giving it a determined effort. The variety of the people exceeds the variety of the food on my plate. I want to know these people. I want to learn of their convictions and their experiences. I want to share in their journeys. Some are quite lost on their paths, but they do not know it. Some know they are lost and are much the better for it. Some are on paths that lead in valuable directions. Some would rather not journey at all. Who's the lady next to me? What does the man across the room hold dear to his heart? Is he satisfied? Is she enthused with life? Is she simply passing time waiting for providence? Does he wish that he could begin again? Perhaps it should be enough for me to enjoy my food and to politely ignore the others in the room, but I can't. We're not designed that way. Sitting this close to this small mass of humanity makes me want to know them. It makes me want to share with them the passion of my faith. It makes me desire to hear their passions. Humans are not simply flesh and blood. We have intellect and reasoning ability. Interestingly enough, we're the only species on the planet that evidences conscious worship. We reach for the divine. We are spirit, and this spirit hungers for contact, growth, and expression. My spirit wants to interact with the others in this room. I might learn so much. I might have something to share. I do not suppose to be smarter or more spiritual than the others here tonight, but I do have some answers. I've sought out my God. I've learned from him. Proverbs tells us that there's a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it's a way of death. The contrapositive is also true. There's a way that's not of death, but neither does it seem right to a person. The way of life is not always obvious. We spend entire lives seeking rightness. How many in this room have found it? My focus returns to my wife. Her eyes dance in this dim light. Her countenance is bright and reflects the sheer pleasure of sitting in this cozy atmosphere, enjoying delightful foods. I love Anne. I enjoy sitting across a small table from her, sharing our dreams and laughing at life's blunders. We seek out such quaint cafes because we so enjoy the experience. 
Certainly, we're looking for enjoyable new foods, but we both know that deep inside we're really seeking out each other. We are designing time for our spirits to intermingle. We are one. We have made a covenant with each other and with God that this lifelong embrace will not be severed. I would have it no other way. This radical commitment that I have for my wife is one of the building blocks of rightness. Now I sit and I feast on Anne's presence. I enjoy the words she speaks, but it is her nearness and her pleasure that really feed me. All too soon the spell is broken. My young son is too restless for these close quarters. I do not want to interrupt others' enchantments in this special place, so we gather our things and head for the exit. We do not pause at the door. We know no one in this room. We live on the other side of the mountain, and we are strangers. Still, people look up to see us exit and smile. In time, we may know these people. We are met at the door by strong, cool winds from the west. Netherland occupies a valley that channels winds from snowy heights toward the plains below. It seems there's always a mountain wind here. It's grown dark, and we hurry to our truck to escape the bite of the chilling wind. I'm pleased that our home rests under the lip of a mountain, with thick trees that shelter us from such winds. We get our fair share of high winds, but we are spared the constant driving chill that seems ever-present in Netherland. It's tempting to drive down the street to the brew pub, where the local band will soon be entertaining, but not tempting enough to disrupt our son's sleeping habits. The drive home takes only about 25 minutes. We chug over the hill, down the South Boulder Creek Valley, up a long series of switchbacks, down the other side of the mountain, and we're home. The stars are again spectacular as I climb down out of the truck. The dogs greet us with friendly yelps, and I toss them some food from the restaurant. Our driveways below our house. The few steps climbing to the front door always take my breath away after sitting so still in the truck. I deposit my sleeping son in his bed and return outside for an armload of firewood. A small fire will drive out the chill. In a few more weeks, we will no longer need a fire in the evenings, but for now the ritual of paper, kindling, and wood continues. Would you like some hot tea? asks Anne as she puts the kettle on. Of course, I agree. And soon we're sitting on our sofa in front of a warm blaze. We've turned out all the lights so that we can better see the flame and the stars shining through the window. Another day was well spent. The tea and the fire do their magic, and we begin to nod. Off to bed we go to snuggle under our down comforter. Thanks for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast and this bonus episode of 8240, One Family's Life Above the Clouds. We hope you guys enjoyed it and come back for another chapter. Please be sure to leave us a comment on our website at adventuresportspodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash adventuresportspodcast. Don't forget, you can also help to keep this show going by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast. A lot of work goes into this show, and we can certainly use your help to keep the great interviews coming. Until the next time, get out and have some fun.